Oh, hey there, lovely teachers, and welcome to the Busy Teachers Club podcast. Can we just have a minute? In case you don't know, I'm Jodie, and I am literally obsessed with everything teacher-related. So planning, organisation, teaching and learning, leadership, pastoral care, teacher wellbeing, curriculum, literally everything. So settle in, because we're going to be having a chat with um, Melissa today, um, which is going to be hopefully super useful for you guys in your classroom. So, as I said, today I'm joined by the wonderful Melissa, who you might know as I teach SEN on Instagram. Melissa was one of the first accounts that I followed when I joined the Teachergram, and I just find her so inspiring. At the centre of everything that Melissa does is this real strong moral purpose, which I really respect. So, welcome, Melissa. It's literally a pleasure to have you on. Jodie, oh my gosh, what an introduction. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, so could you just outline for us a bit then about your teaching journey so far? What kind of a school you teach at and maybe just a little bit about your teaching passions? Yeah, definitely. Um, this will probably be my sixth year of working in special needs, which I absolutely love. Um, never really thought I'd go into teaching, but somehow stumbled across um, getting back into the classroom and then found my real passion for um, special needs when I was working at a therapy school back home in South Africa. Um, and I kind of just did various jobs in different types of schools, kind of just TAing and supporting, but it was always within the special needs unit. Mm -hmm. um, last year, I finished my teacher training and I've actually just started now my, um, you know, my ECT year. So I'm now officially a teacher of um, my own classroom with um, different needs. And Yay. yeah, I, I love behavior and of course special needs and being part of different departments like the Thrive program, ALSA programs as well. And um, I think the social and emotional part of teaching is very underrated as much as we talk about and get training on academic side of things. The social and emotional part is so much more, um, there's so much more that we need to learn about that. Um, so I love kind of like just learning a little bit more about that and getting my fingers stuck in those areas as well. So yeah, that's, that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, well, that again, like I said, very inspiring. Um, so we're back in full swing now, a new academic year, new classes, some people in new schools. This is the time really to be making sure that we fully understand the makeup and the nature of the children in front of us. So I'm curious, what would you say are the top three things that teachers need to do, be aware of in order to support the SEND students in our classrooms? That's a great question, Jodie. And obviously there's so much that teachers can do. So if I had to keep it down to my top three tips in terms of like my experience mm -hmm. um, for mainstream teachers, because I think it would be a little bit different for ACN teachers. Yeah. But for mainstream teachers, I think, the most important part, number one, is to actually know the pupil and then to know the diagnosis that they have. And yeah. um, I think once you know that, then you're able to start gathering inclusive strategies that specifically supports that individual. For example, I, if a child has dyslexia and an autistic child, I can't use the same strategies with those children. I need to be able to know what specifically works for someone who is dyslexic and what specifically works for someone who is autistic. And I think and can that's, I, sorry, can yes. I just say as well, like, do you think, you know, it'd be fair to say that that also differs 
with you know between children you know it might be that a strategy works for um a child who has dyslexia but doesn't work for another and it's about being kind of flexible I guess would you say yeah absolutely um that's such a great thing that you just brought up because I was going to say that with saying that actually doesn't mean that a strategy that's maybe been suggested by someone who is a parent of a child who's autistic or another dyslexic pupil that you've worked with previously it might not necessarily work for your current pupil that you're working with so it's all about getting to know that pupil and using different strategies um, and different methods and then obviously collecting data over the first term to see how they've responded has it worked should we try something different um, so that would kind of be my first one and then once once you know the diagnosis, I would also suggest reaching out, of course, to the Senko to connect with other teachers who yeah. have a very holistic and supportive approach within special needs as well. Because I think my previous experience is sometimes working in mainstream, it's that some teachers might feel that they don't have enough experience or they don't have enough information and therefore they feel uncomfortable. And... Um, then almost, I want to almost say like stereotype and categorize students, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's when the whole thing, oh, this child's autistic. So um, if they're autistic, then they're going to rock on their chair and they need like a wobble cushion. So there's things that, that that's not, that's not what we should be focusing on. We should be, you know, connecting with educators who understand that each individual and each diagnosis is specific to that pupil and that can support you with different strategies I think there's a massive network out there of teachers who are special needs teachers and teachers who are experienced and consultants that are you know like dyslexic consultants ADHD yeah. specialists reach out to them there's so many profiles online where they share information for teachers and parents online like things to do in your classroom um, so that would be my first one Jodie uh, yeah. hopefully that answers one of them, but then obviously moving on from that, I also think that it's important for us as educators to understand that there are multiple factors that impact the individual. So it's not always just about cognition and learning, but there's a big social, emotional and physical side to um, being an individual with SEND. So um, SEND is obviously special educational needs and disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, some children have hidden disabilities and that would be like your dyslexia, your ADHD. Um, and then some people obviously have their physical disabilities as well, uh, where you can see physical differences. So um, basically, sorry, I've just lost my train of thought because I'm dyslexic <laughs> okay. and this happens all the time. But to be aware that there's other factors as well. Um, so it's not just about what you see in the classroom. There's a lot of things that happen outside on the, outside on the playground that also then affect and then have an impact on what learning is going to be taking place in the classroom. Yeah. Um, so for just for teachers to be aware of that, I think that the behavior part of special needs is just as important and has a huge impact on the learning and processing that's happening within the classroom. Um, so yeah, basically just to to be aware of that. And then uh, my third one would be a lot of people, um, I think it's kind of obvious, but some, some teachers might forget to do this, but is to actually ask the pupil, yeah. what, what can I do to support you? Is there something that you would like me to offer you? Um, 
do you need to be sitting in a specific area? Are you comfortable sitting in front? Like at the at the beginning of the year, every teacher at the beginning of the week, their big plan is like seating. Yeah. And they hear last year, you know, you get your profiles of your children with SEN. And then the teacher from last year would go, oh, I sat Johnny next to the door or I sat him right in front of my desk because X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, actually, what we should do is start on a blank slate, stop taking the information that's not really holistic and um, going to, that might almost impact your, uh, how you perceive the child. Mm-hmm. Um, forget about that and start on a fresh blank slate, new canvas. Talk mm-hmm. to the people, say, look, you're going to be in my classroom. I'm really excited to be teaching you. Obviously, um, I know that you've got some learning differences. That's not a problem at all. I want to make adjustments for you, whether that's your seating plan, whether that's you need to move, you need to have a little bit of movement breaks, you need additional time. You'd actually like to have time outside of the classroom when it gets too much for you instead of having to ask me every single time. You can just, you know, give yeah. me a symbol, like, a, you know, show me the number two or the number three or just walk, we have an agreement that you can leave the classroom for 10 minutes and you can come back within that 10 minute time. Um, or having one-to-one support with a TA. And then, of course, would you like me to have differentiated worksheets for you? Because according to the teacher standards, we should be differentiating. And obviously, those children deserve to have the time and effort put into their learning and their lessons just as much as our neurotypical children yeah. do. Um, so find out if they if they would want if they want that, whether it's on a different color paper or whether they wanted the PowerPoint to be printed off of them so that they don't have to keep looking up and reading it. Yeah. Just things like that. I'm thinking in terms of even secondary, that's probably more applicable to secondary. Yeah. But primary, definitely, there is still scope to sit down with the people and ask, like, what works for you? Would you, you know. Would you like some time out? Um, would you like a fidget tool? Do we need to make an arrangement for that? Um, because it also, what you're doing is you're giving the child the autonomy to make that decision. So they're going, okay, I know the best way that I learn. Let me think about this. Let's work together. It's not a hierarchy discussion of this is how you're going to do it because it shouldn't be like that because actually we're discussing a pupil yeah. and that pupil kind of should know how best they want to be able to be able to learn if that makes sense I'm hope I hope that makes sense yes absolutely I love that everything that you said kind of comes back to this idea of collaboration you know collaborating with the information that you have maybe that's on sims or class charts or whatever kind of program your school uses collaborating with the senco and collaborating with the students themselves to to kind Mm -hmm. of give you this holistic approach of what that child requires in your classroom to be able to access the lesson and to be able to enjoy the lesson and thrive in the lesson so I love that kind of all centers around collaboration we um, at my school we have what's called um, who's in my class sheets and at the beginning of every year we start these for each of our groups I'm secondary English And um, that requires us doing basically what you just said, kind of gathering that information from um, the tools online that we use. We use class charts, for example. We find the information that's been written down and the pupil profiles, and we start to kind of gather that information. And then kind of on the sheet, it gives us an opportunity to write down what strategies 
might work for this child but like you said it's kind of taking those into the classroom trialing and you know seeing what works what sticks but mm. also having those conversations with the children and with the the senko or the send department in your school to make sure that that is targeted and specific to to each individual and not kind yeah. of just grouping the children together you know all of my all of my send students need to be on the front row or all of the students with dyslexia need this strategy they need yeah. printing out on blue paper or whatever <laughs> about the individual isn't it so I, yeah. I love that I love that and nice. um, yeah I also wondered if you had any specific guidance then or tips or strategies that people might be able to use or trial in their classrooms when supporting students with dyslexia yeah um there's lots that we can do, Jody. There's so much that teachers can do. Um, I think it will come down to then again, just finding out what, cho choosing a few and then trying it with the people and seeing what works with them. I think it's really important for us to remember as educators that, you know, we live in a world that is majority neurotypical. Um, so when we are in these school institutions such as mainstream, there's a lot of expectations that everybody should almost be working at the same level. That's why we still have like these tests that we do and assessments mm. to see where everyone's at. But actually our neurodivergent students, um, you know, our brains are wired differently. And therefore, because it's wired differently, we need different um kind of accommodations and strategies in order for us to thrive. Because I think it was actually a friend of mine, Kerry. So I'm going to answer your question now, Jodie. Um, mm -hmm. My friend, Kerry, who said to me, do you want your pupils to survive or thrive in your classroom? Love that. And it is actually about making sure that each pupil thrives. You know, you don't want your students in your classroom to, to have a really just survival kind of experience of being in your classroom. And actually there's about 80% of children that are, are um, have SEND are in mainstream schools. So it's so important for us um, as educators to get it right and to work collaboratively to make sure that we are making these accommodations. So to get back to that question about specifically dyslexia, mm -hmm. obviously just dyslexia is a, it's a genetic difference so within the family tree there will be someone else who has dyslexia um, whether they know that or they don't know that but it, it is it is genetic and um, it's a neurological difference that impacts us more than just speaking and listening and writing because that's the big misconception is that everyone thinks oh dyslexia okay so they struggle with reading and writing and it's like no <laughs> there's so much more within reading and writing that impacts, and you'll see the results of that within the classroom, such as, um, you know, processing information and that processing speed um, is important. So basically you would say to the class, okay, I'm gonna give you 10 minutes to uh, do this quick activity. Well, you need to give double the time to your, to your pupil with that, that's dyslexic because of the processing time and the, the amount of processing information that they need to take in means that they require more time. And that also then has a result on working memory. Working memory is basically knowing in order to do this, I need to be able to, you know, first do a few, go a few steps back and recall information. Um, and short-term memory is, 
I don't really like using the word impaired because it almost has a negative connotation, but it's very impacted. Our short-term memory is impacted. So for teachers doing so much talking in front of the classroom and it's just constant, they're, they're not, we're not able to retain any of that information. It's kind of like, please get that written down on a piece of paper or have it printed out so that I don't need to write. Because I actually, the way that our brains work is I'm trying to listen to what you're saying and write at the same time, which are two difficult things to do in any way. And then I'm slow at doing it. So that by the time you, the teachers finish their sentence and I've just kind of got into my third word, they've already moved on to the next sentence. It's like, it's too much information for, for us. Yeah. So the, there's the uh, working memory, phonological awareness, which means our working with sounds. And because we're working with sounds, that means it's our auditory processing. So what we hear and how things are spelled are completely different. And that's why people think it's just based on spelling, but that's where, that's the spelling part of dyslexia that is impacted is your um, phonological awareness. And of course, executive functioning, which is massive. Um, that's how we plan. That's how we manage our time. That's our organization. That's knowing what comes next. And you'll find with people who, who are dyslexic, they'll try so hard to be organized, but they're constantly losing their books or they forgot the handout sheet or... You know, they're losing pencils, scissors, rubbers. Just instead of just handing it out, make sure that it gets sent home via email directly or make sure that all the stationery just gets stayed in the classroom. Make it super yeah. simple for the pupil to kind of manage the organization because there's too much things that they need to think about. And mm-hmm. we are extremely forgetful <laughs> individuals. We're really good in other things. We are really good at other things. Um, um so, Jody, remind me, what is the question again? Because like, like, um, like I said, I'm dyslexic, so I've literally forgotten the question. <laughs> yeah, so it, you've, you've, you've talked a little bit about some practical strategies that, that people could maybe implement in the classroom, and that was basically what it was, just kind of any specific tips or strategies that people might try um, to support um, students in the classroom with dyslexia. Yeah. Cool, definitely. Um, this probably might be a little bit more for primary at the moment, but we can move. I have written down some things for that can um, support people in pupils in secondary. So I think obviously some of sometimes um, we struggle with rhyming words, but rhyming words can also help us spell certain um, remember spellings for certain okay. things. So like uh, making sure that the same words like drink, ink, pink, and think the ink part of those words are in the same color. And that's how we can remember the spelling for certain okay. words. Or when you have, um, when you're doing spelling, to so you kind of learn the syllables and cut it up into different pieces. And I know that these um, dyslexic strategies out there where they do, you know, they clap the syllables out. Um, there's also another one that I find that I actually didn't know about that I thought, wow, I, re- I really wish that I had that um, in school is asking the people if you have something written down on the um on the board instead of asking the people to write it down of course you want them to practice it but you might want to actually just print off that sheet that you want them to copy down from the board and this comes down to processing information it's the fact that by the time they have to look up and then go down to find their space within the book they've forgotten already what they've had to write down 
because they've now focused on where am I in the book. So I think maybe just getting your um, presentations or any work that you want them to copy from the board, make sure that it's kind of there's a printout for them, even if you've quickly written it down for them on a piece of paper, you know, with certain words on so that they don't have to keep looking up and down, up and down. It's that up and down movement that we are really unaware of inside the brain. There's a lot of processing going on. And um, it's almost like the neural pathways, they're, they're getting a little bit jumbled inside. So we forget our places. So I think just to help us with that is it would be just print off a piece of paper with the words on. So we don't have to keep looking up and down. We've got the words on, we can copy it down from there. I think another important thing is please just to be aware of the pupils who are dyslexic. If they don't want to read in front of the classroom, don't get them to read in front of the classroom. Um, children who are dyslexic are have a little bit of self-confidence. They know that there's a difference in terms of how they read and how they pronounce words. So if they're not comfortable with it, don't kind of put them in a position where they have to read it. You can build up their confidence, but it should not have to happen in front of everyone. So that could be one-to-one reading with um, a teaching assistant, one-to-one reading with you, maybe even reading in part with peers and partners and then having to maybe yeah. tell the story. But doing it publicly is not going to strengthen um, their confidence, A. And B, it's um, you're not helping them because we struggle with reading, reading words out loud. Um, so I think that would be one thing. Um, and then obviously there's the, there are certain students who would like to have their work printed in colored paper but I think that would be a discussion that you could have with them and then uh, when it does come to presentations I think making sure that we've got accessible fonts that they could read so Comic Sans and Sassoon is a really good font to have Mm -hmm. Um, and it's actually really been accredited by the Dyslexia Foundation in the UK to say that it is dyslexia friendly so making sure that you're using fonts that's not you know all cursive and all looking yeah. beautiful but because it looks pretty but actually it's difficult to read and then to obviously copy down so I think having things that are you know accessible to them such as different fonts is is almost like the minimal that we can do and then if the school has a certain policy about that I would then maybe go to the center and say look do you know that our font's not dyslexia friendly and we've yeah. got this percentage of students in our school with dyslexia um, who are dyslexic? So that's something that, you know, could be flagged up. Um, and what else was there? So for within secondary, I think just helping with organisation as well. And then I think confidence. Confidence is such a big one, Jodie. Um, getting them to do activities that they you, you know that they can do to build up that confidence is really important. Um, helping with like systematic phonics, so making sure like if you're using a phonics program at our school, that it's learning a specific structure with um, you know systematic phonics with explicit teaching. They might need more support with that instead of yeah. just assuming that. Because remember, we were talking about the auditory and the phonological and phonological um, differences. Yeah. Um, a lot of dyslexic people, um, I'm a phonetic speller, so I will spell out a word as how it sounds. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to get up their, you know, their spelling um, confidence and, you know, be able to support them with support them in that because obviously in English, 
that's going to be a thing that we're we're going to have to focus on as well. Um, and just seeing what strategies do with those, I think would be almost like my top three is making sure that yeah. there's a printout available. We're aware that, you know, we shouldn't be asking pupils to read out in front of everyone or even doing the timetables. Like people don't know this, but children, dyslexic people, individuals don't, our strong points are not timetables because it's all that, it's memory reports, learning things like a, a, a it's parrot recording and timetables is not one of them. Telling the time is not, is not a strength of ours um, either. So I think it's being aware of um, the reasonable adjustment that teachers need to make yes. and not go, you know, you need to practice this. You need to do harder. You need to try harder. It's actually so difficult as a person to hear that constantly because I can tell you now the first time they tried it, that was kind of, that was the best shot at it. They did try. Um, but hearing constantly like, oh, you need to try harder, you need to listen, um, it's not very supportive at all. We need to just be supporting and saying, you know, well done, you've had a go, we'll keep going on it, we'll keep carrying on. This is a neurological difference. This is not something um, that we can change. This is something wide within the brain that's, mm. that's different. And that's why it's so important that we make um, kind of... Um, accommodations you know giving extra time not giving the same expectations in terms of I'm giving you 15 minutes have that discussion with our people say look when I tell the classroom I give when I give the classroom you know a 10 minutes time to do something or two minute time to do something I don't mean you you don't have to have you don't have to have completed that that within 10 minutes because they're not going to and also in terms of homework give them homework that they could literally do within 30 minutes. It should not be more than 30 minutes because you cannot expect a dyslexic um, individual to sit down for longer than 30 minutes, especially a child, mm. um, to be able to, to, do, to do work. It should be short chunks of work. You know, if we're giving instructions, make sure it's just one, two, three. Okay, that's enough. I want you to do one, two, and three, and then we're going to stop. Then we're going to look together and see where we're at. Then you can move on to four, five, and six. Mm -hmm. Don't give them the entire worksheet with all 10 steps. They'll, they'll look at those 10 steps and go, well, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And they'll see that, you know, Sarah sitting behind them is already at number seven. So mm -hmm. it's about just saying, I want you to do one, two, and three, stop. We'll check it, then move on to the next two sets. Small chunks, a mm -hmm. short burst of information, um, making sure that there's there's um, printouts for them, making sure that the, the fonts are accessible to them and then being aware of things such as um, the differences that they might be struggling with, like recalling timetables, yeah. rhythm and rhyme, um, reading out loud, phonetic awareness, auditory processing, all of that stuff, all of those factors play a huge part and that's why when we talk about dyslexia, it's not just about reading and writing. Yeah. Because I bet you half of teachers in schools didn't know that there's a processing different. They didn't know that it takes them double the time. Or they didn't know that timetable and maths and mental maths is extremely difficult. And you know what? There's going to be pupils who are not going to be able to do any of the activities in mental maths. And we shouldn't have the same expectations for that you know, mental mass activities for neurodivergent people as what we would for a neurotypical. So neurotypical, we're talking about a pupil who has no diagnosis. They're 
rain yeah. in the medical term is forming is is working completely at a um you know normal and i say that with inverted commas at a normal yeah. rate um and those are the things that we need to be aware of and then constantly just encouraging them to build up their confidence because confidence i mean i'm 30 years old and i still don't like reading up reading in public or i still don't like taking notes in meetings because i don't feel comfortable with someone reading my notes because i know that there's going to be a bazillion spelling mistakes um so i think it's just about being aware of those things um, yeah. and supporting them in those areas that's so useful melissa literally so useful and i i want to kind of bring it back to what you said um that your friend said to you about it not being about surviving it's about thriving and that's a duty that is on our shoulders as educators like you say that awareness that collaboration with the people that we need to within our school to make sure that we are delivering the best provision i also really loved how you kept bringing it back to adjusting the expectations you know i guess as a teacher sometimes if you've got pressures from the powers that be to race through certain um content or you know have achieved certain progress measures or you know there is the maybe kind of um idea that you would want to make sure everybody's kind of working at the same speed but everybody isn't working at the same speed or the same pace or in the same way and so mm -hmm. it's about adjusting those expectations so i really love that you brought that up as well Thank you so much for joining me. It's been so eye-opening and informative. I think it's going to be a really popular listen. So thank you so much, Melissa. No, it's such a pleasure. I do apologise for just waffling, waffling and talking. Oh, oh, <laughs> yes, that's so Falling off right now. But um, yeah, I'm sorry if I've repeated myself. I just kind of end up going on a tangent. But yeah, hopefully that has helped and given some information to somebody um, and to just encourage them to, you know, just um, create a, a loving environment, a supportive environment um, for the pupils in their classroom. And thanks so much for having me on your podcast. This is amazing. Thanks so much, Jodie. My pleasure. Um, so linking on from this chat, um, being mindful of all the needs that we have in our classroom is really important. You know, it's our duty to make sure that all students can access the provision that we offer, like we've said. And one of the questions that I get asked quite a lot when thinking about closing the gap is how we do this for disadvantaged students. And um, for those of you that don't know, there is now a Busy Teachers Club subscription available. It's $4.99 a month and offers monthly guidance with support um, for developing you professionally with CPD resources and training looking after you personally with recommendations and well-being treats and supporting you in the classroom with a shared load of resources. October's fo focus for the CPD training is closing the gap and focuses on disadvantaged students. So you'll get a CPD training video on this, a blog post with loads of strategies to trial and a research pack to support you and on your path to providing the best possible classroom experience for your disadvantaged students. If you head over to busyteachersclub.co.uk, you can sign up there. I hope you all have a wonderful work week and I will hopefully see you guys again soon for the next episode. Also, if you would like to hear a podcast on a particular topic, then please do get in touch. Have the best day. Thank you again, Melissa, and we will see you all soon.